During the ministry of Catherine Kuhlman, her heart-to-heart talks were an inspiration and blessing to thousands of people, and we're pleased that many of her sermons, preached under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, were recorded on tape. Our Father, rich is the man, rich is the woman who can look up and call you Father, knowing their sins have been covered with the blood of your only begotten Son, to know that we belong, just to know that we belong, underneath all the uncertainties of life is the assurance that you are there, that you'll answer prayer, that you're loving, that we belong, that you have all power, and that all that is yours is ours. Bless our waiting hearts, for Jesus' sake we ask it. Amen. Well, sir, it's nothing profound, and yet it's one of the greatest secrets of the Christian life. I mean that. As I speak to you for the next several minutes, I am actually, literally, giving you one of the greatest secrets that I know anything about in living a happy, a successful Christian life. I've come to the conclusion that thousands of God's precious children have just enough Christianity, they have just enough of the knowledge of God to make them miserable. That's right. (laughs) People say, oh, the thing that I notice most is that the people are so happy. Everybody's enjoying themselves so sure. It's because they have learned of the secret of the joy of the Lord. Now, if you are a Christian... And I would be the very last person in the whole world to say that you were not. I have no right to judge you. No man has a right to judge you. But if you are not happy, if you do not have the joy of the Lord, if you wake up in the morning and you're not happy, if you go through the hours of your day and you have no joy, if you go to bed at night unhappy, disgruntled, grouchy. I would silently question your experience. (laughs) Or it just may be that you have never learned how to live the Christian life. You know, I always think about years and years ago when I was a kid. And just as soon as it got warm. Oh, it was the greatest experience of the spring. No, I would say it was the second greatest experience of the spring because the greatest experience when spring would come, when Mama would let me take off my long underwear. That was the highlight. Oh, that that was the day. 
that made spring for me. And every year since, when people rave about the beginning of spring, I still somehow had that same thrill that I had when I was a kid. And Mom would say, well, now, Catherine, it's warm enough now that you can take off your long underwear. Oh, I hated that long underwear. Well, anyway, the second great thrill was when Mama would say, now it's uh, warm enough and the kids are going down to the pond and you can take off your shoes and stockings today. And some of them were brave enough, you know, especially the boys where they would... uh, dive off into the water but the girls didn't do that at home no all they could do was take off their shoes and stockings and I can remember we take off our shoes and stockings and then just stick our toes into the water oh we shivered and we shook (gasps) that water was cold I am telling you we'd squeal and scream with the cold it was though our toes would freeze off. And then the boys who were so brave, you know, they would get up on that uh, diving board and it wasn't too high, but then it was a diving board and off they'd go down into the water, come up splashing and say, oh, you silly girls, what are you screaming about? It's wonderful the water isn't cold. This is wonderful. Come in, come in. And honestly, it wasn't cold to them. Why? Because they'd gotten wet all over. They were enjoying it. We had just enough of the cold water to make us miserable. You know something? That's a homey thing I know. I should need me talking about those things over the air. But they're real. And I couldn't make my point any better than just that. It's the man, the woman who's a Christian who gets on top of that diving board and says, Lord, sink or swim, I'm going to have the whole thing, everything. Everything that you've got for me. If I'm going to be a Christian, I'm going to be a Christian. Lock, stock, and barrel. Every part of me, every atom of my being, all of me, you can have. I'm going into this thing for everything there is. And that's exactly what I did when I became a Christian. There are others today who are just on the edge. You've gotten just enough to make you miserable. You've gotten just enough to know that you can't go all out for the devil. As a Christian, there's some things you know you cannot do because of your example. There's some things you used to do before you were a Christian. You enjoyed it because you didn't know it was wrong. You didn't realize it was sin. But since you have become a Christian, you cannot do those things any longer and enjoy them because you know they're wrong to do. You know that. Therefore, you can't enjoy them. You are a Christian and you haven't come all out and fully surrendered to the Lord. You have just 
enough Christianity to make you miserable on that side. So here you are. You aren't enjoying a thing. You poor soul. <laughs> You're the most miserable person in the whole world. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. And you will never, you will never enjoy your Christian life. You'll never enjoy being a Christian. You'll never enjoy Christianity until you come to the place where you are wholly and completely possessed by Christ. And I mean that with all my heart. Well, somebody says that's the truth now. I agree with you. But it's one thing to show me what I am and point out my failure, but it's another thing entirely to give me the remedy. Now, what can I do to be wholly possessed by Christ and live this life where I am enjoying my salvation? I'm enjoying the Lord. Well, one thing I'm going to say to you, You'll not get it through struggling. No, ma'am. You'll not get it by fighting. As long as you have a desire for these things, you might as well go right ahead and do them. I mean that. As long as you're trying to fight this thing with your own willpower, forget it. Just forget it. If you're straining every muscle, if your life is a struggle and you still desire these things of the world, go right ahead and do it. But what you need is another good dip. That's right. No, the thing isn't gotten through struggling, through willpower. Watch. Paul says, I live Yet not I. Christ liveth in me. John says, ye are gods. And if ye are gods, if you belong to him, if you are his property, then you have overcome these things. Through him you overcome these things. How? Why? Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Not your efforts. He is the one who fights the battle for you. It's his power. It's Christ in you. Now let's go a little further. You know something? The greatest secret in the world is to practice the presence of God. Work to secure at all times a sense of God's presence. Oh, this is glorious. I'm telling you something now. I'm telling you something that I have experienced. Something that I know works. Walk 
as in the presence of God. Think as in the presence of God. Talk as in God's presence. Some of you women, start practicing that this very hour. When you're having a conversation on the telephone and you're assassinating somebody's character, just stop and think. Would I be saying these things if God was right here in this room and I could see him? I'll say you wouldn't. Some of the places you go, would you go those places if you knew that God was literally there in your presence? Your thoughts. Watch it. And remember he knows our thoughts. I promise you something. If you will walk as in the presence of God. If you will think as in the presence of God. If you will talk as in God's presence. I'll tell you what the result will be. There will be a communion with God so close that he will be as near to you as when you are at his table taking communion. God bless you. Well, again today, we're going to have some of that old-fashioned Missouri cornbread. <laughs> I said that one Sunday in the Sunday service. I said, you know, folk, sometimes I think that I have been bringing so much of the word of prophecy and the very deep things of the word that today I'm just going to give you old-fashioned Missouri cornbread. Ever since that time, I walk down the street and somebody will call out, I sure like your cornbread. <laughs> and uh, I was driving along the highway and a truck driver slowed up, waved his hand at me and said, Miss Kuhlman, your cornbread was sure good. Now, no one else would understand. But it's not the whipped cream. It's not the dessert. It's the cornbread, Mama always said, that made you big and strong, gave you strength. And so just relax, and for a few minutes, we're going to just take the simple things of the word, and yet, simple but so profound that the natural mind cannot fathom, cannot comprehend. And I mean that with all of my heart. How to be wholly possessed by Christ and enter into the joys of the Christian life. Oh, sure, that's wonderful. If I'm going to be a Christian, I want all there is is for me. 
I want everything that God has for a Christian. I want the joy of salvation. I want the peace, peace of mind that passeth even my understanding. I want the love that Jesus promised the believer. I want the protection. I want the provision. I want everything that God has provided for any man, any woman who accepts his only begotten Son as their Savior. Everything that has been provided for me as an heir of God and a joint heir with Christ Jesus, I want it. And I'll not be satisfied with anything less. So we come to the joy of salvation. And I am convinced of something. You will never have the joy of salvation until, first of all, you're completely surrendered unto the Lord. Until you've cut every shoreline, until he possesses you completely, then and then only will you have the joy of the Lord. Somebody says, all right, how do you get it? And I know scores of folk who are hungry for just this thing. There's a deep spiritual hunger. There's a searching there. And the first thing that they do in trying to find the answer is to read everything they can get their hands on. I know some people, every time there's a religious broadcast over the air, just because it's religious, they listen to it from beginning to end. They'll read every religious paper that they can get their hands on. They will accept anything that a man tells them as long as he's carrying a Bible. Sometimes I think professing Christians are the most gullible people in the whole world. I find this type of person so confused that, believe me when I tell you, they do not know what they believe. In conversing with them, instead of being strong in the faith, they're wavering. They're so confused mentally, one day they believe one thing. Then they hear somebody else preaching something else. After they've turned their radio off, they believe what he has said. And then they read some religious article, contrary to what the previous one has said, and it upsets their theology, and then they become so confused that in the final analysis, believe me, they aren't sure of what they believe. They're so confused mentally that they're not worth anything to themselves, to God, to their family. And their confusion has brought a dissatisfaction and a turmoil to their minds. And you 
can't be a power for God as long as there is mental confusion. Something happened a couple of weeks ago. I laughed, you know, things that don't seem funny to anyone else. I have the strangest sense of humor. Somebody can say something that's funny and just get hysterical over it. I don't see a thing funny about it. I am just as thick about some things mentally. And yet something that uh, isn't funny to anyone else, I think is the greatest thing. A mother in distress came. And she said, you know, my poor daughter, she said, she didn't know how to cook when she got married. And her husband was so gracious and so wonderful. And they uh, moved into an apartment where they had all these modern gadgets, everything. One of these stoves, you know, that you almost have to be a mechanic to, to know how to operate. You've got to have some mechanical brains to know which button to press, you know, and the timing and, oh, the Lord deliver me. I wouldn't know where to begin with one of those things. Well, anyway, and then she had been given so many showers that on top of this mechanical giant that was in her apartment, she'd been given so many gadgets, the new thing for this and the new thing for the other, and, well, she struggled with these things for about four days, and then the mother told me she came home crying. Just crying. She said, Mama, I'm so confused. I haven't had a successful meal yet. I can't work the stove. I don't know what to do with these things that have been given me. Mama, I just came over to get your old-fashioned skillet and your old-fashioned roaster that we've had in the family ever since I was a little girl. And I'm going to begin all over again and do it just like you do it. The mother didn't know whether to laugh or whether to cry. I howled, you know, because I could sympathize with the young girl. But you want to know something? That's exactly what causes so much confusion when it comes to spiritual things. Somebody offers you a gadget here. Somebody offers you a gadget over there. You have become so gadget-minded. There are so many quirks, so many hobbies that preachers ride. Until your mind becomes so confused, and where there is confusion, there can be no spiritual growth. Believe me, that is the truth. There can be no spiritual growth as long as you are not sure, dead sure, where you stand and what you believe. Now, how do I enter into this life of joy? How do I enter into this life of victory? First of all, 
by acknowledging his presence at all time. The psalmist says, In thy presence is fullness of joy. In thy presence. This is the victorious life. Oh, that's glorious. Not only the knowledge that thou, God, seest me, but the consciousness of his presence. I am now in the very presence of God, walking down the street, not walking alone. Be conscious of his presence beside you. While you're washing dishes right there at the sink, I told you this is going to be old-fashioned Missouri cornbread. That's exactly what it is. And yet it's one of the greatest secrets of the joy of salvation, of living a daily victorious life. While you're right there washing those dishes, and those dishes may be stacked sky high, washing them, you can become so discouraged, despondent, but beloved, with his presence, you'll find that your mind is upon him. You're conversing with him. There is a place where you so practice the presence of Jesus. Without an audible word spoken, you can converse with him. I mean that. I am now in the presence of God. The mind went back to Zacharias in the temple and the words of the archangel when he said, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God. Oh, that's the thought. His feet may tread the temple courts, but he never forgets that he stands in the very presence of God. Take heed said the Lord Jesus Christ, that ye despise not one of these little ones, for their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. In the presence of God. That then is the secret of the angel's service. They're always conscious of being in the presence of God. Was it not so with Elijah? When he suddenly emerges from obscurity and springs into our view, he cries, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand. Read it. It's the 17th chapter of 1 Kings. When he refused to stand in the presence of God, he begged that he might die. And God could not use him until he stood once more in his presence. Go forth, said God to the despondent prophet, and stand upon the mount before the Lord. But what did he do? He hid in the cave. Then came the wind and the earthquake and fire, but all in vain. 
They did not drive him forth from his hiding place from God. After the fire, there was a sound of gentle stillness. Did the prophet fear that God had deserted him? Had God departed? I'll tell you what he did. Elijah wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Nothing happened. There was no power. There was no glory. As long as he was in the cave. But when he came forth and stood as God told him to, when he stood in the entrance of the cave, once more he stands before God and God could speak to him and use him. Oh, that's glorious, that's marvelous. What resources of help and strength and comfort lie in this glorious thought? I stand now in the presence of God. I challenge you this very moment. This moment of your defeat. You may be suffering the same as Elijah suffered one day. And in your discouragement, despondence, they looked up and said, Oh, God, let me die. I can't face it. I can't face it. My heart is heavy. The night is dark. I can't carry the burden any longer. Come on out of the cave. Come on. Come on, honey. Come right on out. I challenge you. I beg you. I take you by the hand. I'll lead you out of the cave of your darkness. Let me lead you out of your cave of despondency. Come on. It's no reflection on your spirituality. For remember, Elijah too was God's child. He belonged to him. But he was human. You are human and so am I. So come on. Take my hand. Come on out and let me lead you from out of the cave. Once more, stand your full height. Stand there, six feet tall, square your shoulders. And as you stand, lift up your chin. Lift up your head. Lift up your eyes. Behold, you stand. Stand now in the presence of God, and in His presence there can be no defeat. Know that. Absolutely. No person can stand in the presence and be conscious of the presence of his God and go down in defeat. Clear your mind of all thoughts except the bigness and the greatness of the God to whom you belong. God bless you. No matter what your day is like or how big those troubles are in that life of yours, as long as God is 
steal on his throne and give an answer's prayer. And just so long as your faith in him is still intact, everything will come out all right. And do you want to know something? I have found out a long time ago that not all the crippling illnesses are visible. Some are of the spirit. Never forget, it's not what happens to a person that's so important. It's what one does with the thing after it happens that determines the result. You need not be defeated on a single score. Know that. I do not care what has happened to you, how great your sorrow, your affliction, your disappointment. The Master has promised that we are not only to conquer that thing, but that we are more than conquerors to him who loved us. Are you a little discouraged today? Somehow is the problem in that life of yours almost overwhelming. Let me just whisper something to you. Don't try to be strong. Just be still and know that he is God and that he will sustain you and bring you through. Do you want to know something that I've learned a long time ago? God keeps his choicest promises for our deepest faintings. Let thine heart take courage and know that God is still on his throne. God will make a way for you where seemingly there is no way. For who in the heaven can be compared unto the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened unto the Lord? O Lord God of hosts, who is a strong Lord like unto thee, or to thy faithfulness round about thee? Thou rulest the raging of the sea when the waves thereof arise. Thou stillest the heavens are thine, the earth also is thine. As for the world and the fullness thereof, thou hast founded them. Thou hast a mighty arm, strong is thy hand, high is thy right hand, and justice and judgment are the habitation of thy throne, and mercy and truth shall go before thy face. In thy name, shall they rejoice all the day, and in thy righteousness shall they be exalted. David knew the greatness, the fullness, the power, the mercy of his God and our God. 
We have been having some good heart-to-heart talks together about this thing of living a daily consistent Christian life. A life where there's joy. You read the word of the Lord and constantly he talks about his joy. The joy that he gives a Christian. It's a joy that's greater than any unsaved person can ever experience. Oh, I'm not telling you that there won't be sorrow, there won't be a heartache, there won't be a heartbreak. Along with that joy, the Lord also says that the Christian will not only have troubles, he'll have tribulation. But there is a place in the Lord where you can be going through the deepest water can have tribulations beyond anything that you ever dreamed possible. There can be sorrow. There can be a broken heart. And yet, in the face of it all, a joy beyond description. A peace that passes even your mental understanding. The joy of the Lord. And I'm sorry to tell you that there are some professing Christians who don't have the slightest idea about what I'm talking about because they've never had it, they've never experienced it, and they have never experienced it because they have never fully and completely surrendered their lives unto the Lord. Never. And you'll never know this wonderful joy, the happiness, the complete thrill of being a Christian, the perfect satisfaction, the calmness. Oh, some of you know what I'm talking about. Sure you do. But you'll never know what I'm talking about, until, first of all, you have completely surrendered yourself unto the Lord. How do you do it? Let me just remind you of a previous heart-to-heart talk. When I spoke to you on practicing the presence of Jesus, the presence of the Heavenly Father, When you practice his presence, he'll be closer to you than that one in the room who is nearest to you. You may be sitting at a table conversing with someone, and yet the presence of Jesus, the presence of the Heavenly Father, can be closer to you, more real to you, than that one who is sitting across the table from you. You may be standing before an open grave. Someone may put their arms around you and just kind of bring you very close their own physical body that you might find comfort 
in that strong arm. And yet there is a place in the Lord where in that moment his presence, his person is closer, nearer, and more real to you than the presence of the one who has put their arm around your physical body. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Others haven't the slightest idea. Now watch something. It's marvelous when you're conscious of His presence with you. But there is something that is even greater. And that is Christ dwelling within you. And one of the greatest desires that our Lord had was that we should realize His presence within us. He tried to get His disciples to believe. He did everything in the world to get His disciples to know this glorious truth. And he gave as an example this fact that the Father was in him and he in the Father. That he could do nothing of himself but that the Father was working in and through him. And that in the same way we are sent by him, we live our lives in him, and he in us, and that in the very same way we are sent by him, he is lived through these lives of ours, that without Christ we can do nothing, and that he would come and dwell in us and work in us and through us. And he made it just as plain as he could possibly make it. Turn to the word of God. The fifth chapter, John. I'll read a couple of verses. Begin with the 19th verse. Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the Father do. For what things whatever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself. Oh, that's glorious. A little old lady who late in life accepted Christ as her Savior was always praising God and talking about her Savior. And one day a friend said, You seem pretty confident about the Savior of yours. I wouldn't be too sure about it if I were you. Suppose the Lord should let you slip through his fingers. But, said the old lady, I'm one of his fingers. <laughs> and she was perfectly right. She was indeed a member of Christ. Oh, it's all so wonderful. It's 
too wonderful for words. I, you, a poor sinner saved by the grace of God, have been made a member of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. We have here the glorious truth that the Son tried to make plain to his disciples that he was in the Father, the Father was in him, the two were as one, he could do nothing without the Father. His will was the Father's will. His life was lived in the Father. The two became as one in exactly the same way you and I are in Christ, literally a member of the body of Christ when we accept him as our personal Savior. You are no longer your own. At that time of conversion, something marvelous happened. And I pray that just now the Holy Spirit will make this very real, very plain to your heart. For the first time in your life, you may realize what it actually means to be born again. And when the truth dawns upon you, you will understand what I mean when I say that no man, no woman who is a Christian, who is God's child, needs ever be defeated on a single score. Watch it. Jesus says, Him that cometh unto me I will in no wise cast out. And so your first step is to say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I confess I'm a sinner. I confess I need you to forgive my sins. That's simple. That's the first step. The only person in the world that Jesus cannot help is the man or the woman who will not confess he's a sinner or confess his sins to him. You come to him and in that moment when you pray that prayer of confession, when you stand in the presence of your great high priest, the great mediator, the one in position of mediator between you and Almighty God, in that moment he hears your prayer of confession for gives your sins, and you stand justified before God by faith. Is that all of the transaction? Beloved, indeed not. In that moment, your mighty Creator, and that is all that He has been to you up until that moment, the Creator, Creator of mankind, your Creator. He has not been your Heavenly Father. He does not become your Heavenly Father until, first of all, you accept Jesus Christ, His Son, as your Savior. 
in that moment for the first time in your life upon the acceptance of his son as your savior in the forgiveness of your sins the creator the mighty god of this universe becomes your heavenly father is that all no you become through that transaction an heir of god and a joint heir with his only begotten son you're rich stop right now remember to whom you belong right there in the middle of that kitchen stand there oh take your hands out of the dishwater right now <laughs> You've been bawling, you've been crying, you've been so discouraged, you've been so defeated, so downhearted. You've been talking about how poor you are. Don't you dare, as one of God's children, go around talking about how poor you are. We can't afford this. We can't afford that. We're so poor. Forget it. Start talking about how rich you are. If you're a Christian going around talking about how poor you are, nobody will have any confidence in your experience. You can never make anybody believe that you're a child of the king. Why, you go around acting like a pauper. And who wants to be a pauper? Who wants to be the child of a pauper? When you go around talking about how poor you are and you're lacking in this, why, bless you, you'd never make anybody believe that you were an heir of God and a joint heir with Christ Jesus. You're rich. You may not have more than a copper cent in your pocket, but you're still rich. You're still an heir of God and a joint heir with Christ Jesus. Nobody can take that away from you. Nobody ever heard an heir of a king talking about his poverty no ma'am <laughs> and maybe you're poor because you haven't stopped to realize to whom you belong look up lift up your head square your shoulders walk down the street and say I'm rich and you are in that moment the moment that you were converted you became the richest person in the world with an inheritance that's greater than any inheritance that was ever left a human being through the estate of the richest man that ever died. That's right. Your heavenly father won't let you down. Your Heavenly Father will provide for you from here on out. And in that moment, you also became a very part of the body of Jesus himself. Literally. You are a part of his body. You are in him oh that place of full surrender that place of complete 
surrender unto him. That new life, oh, that's wonderful. That new life, the life from above, the regenerated life, is a marvelous life. And the instant we receive Christ as our Savior, we are made a part of Him. And again, I want to remind you that the Christian life is not one of a struggle. It is something that is as natural as the air that you breathe. Right now in the last minute, I want you to see something. When you accept the Christ in full surrender and you become an heir of God and you become a part of the body of Christ, you die. All things pass away and behold, all things become new. Why? Because you are a new creature. A new creature in Christ Jesus. The old self dies. That is the meaning of water baptism. Water baptism is a symbol of burial. It has nothing to do with your salvation. You're not saved because you were immersed. Water baptism, the immersion, was a symbol of of death, a symbol of burial. Know that. You died at the time of your conversion. There was a burial of your sins, your failures, your past. In that moment, you passed from death unto life. There is now no more condemnation unto you for those past sins. You are risen in newness of life in Christ Jesus. Therefore, for you to live from here on out is Christ. And Christ is love. Your life from here on out is lived in him and he lives through you. God bless you.